Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. So Daryl Etherington could not be with us this week. He is uh, traveling, but we are joined by, I like to think of as better Daryl, which is Sarah Perez. <laughs> so Sarah, thanks for being here. I'm off to a good start. <laughs> well, this week we are going to be reviewing The Family, which is a documentary on Netflix before we do that, though, we're going to talk a little bit about reader feedback and a little bit about some news this week. So first off, reader feedback, we got an email to originalcontent at techcrunch.com, which you can also email and possibly get mentioned on the show. And this is from Willow Ennin, who wrote, love the podcast, just some personal feedback here. I would love recommendations of similar TV shows slash movies. Some of the shows are short, so would love some recs that you guys like that are similar to what you're reviewing, even across different streaming platforms. I know you guys do it here and there as y'all are talking, but some official recs would be really awesome. Smiley face, which I think Jordan and I both thought was a very good suggestion. Yeah, anything we can do to make the uh, the podcast better. I mean, I, I find a way to relate everything to Battlestar Galactica. So if you haven't watched <laughs> Battlestar Galactica yet... That'd be the first recommendation for pretty much any episode. That's my top rec as well. I, have a, <laughs> I agree. If you like science fiction and good things, you, you don't should have watch to, Battlestar Galactica. If you Galactica. like anything, I could use some. I could use some recs. Yeah, I'll take some rec. I'll take some recommendations. Um, I don't know really for for last week's for Carnival Row. I mean, related content is kind of difficult because it's bizarro. But I wouldn't actually put dark crystal very far away from it to be honest i mean in some ways it's very very far away but in others it's very similar um so dark crystal age of resistance could be related to to carnival row and then you know i also got a lot of game of thrones vibes i mean most people have already seen game of thrones but if you haven't that would be another really obvious recommendation for you to watch watch a tv show what do you think anthony i would say those are probably the two big ones for me um I think Game of Thrones is probably part of the reason why um, Carnival Row got made. And um, and then Dark Crystal Age of Resistance is similar because it has this sort of fantasy feel, but slightly darker, slightly more mature. And, and in that sense, I, I think like they, they're sort of a good match. I mean, obviously we watch them sort of back to back. There's also like this element of both of them have pretty aggressive fantasy elements and so you have to be willing to go along with it i mean in the case of dark crystal it's because of also because of the puppets in the case of carnival row it's more just sort of the the fairy element um i would also say outside of streaming if you're interested in, in reading a, a book that kind of has a similar flavor i would say the the novels of china mieville particularly perdido street station is in some ways carnival row but much much better so you should also check that out in the meantime, we can also talk a little bit about um, the Big Apple event this week, which was mostly focused on hardware, but there was a streaming and media component to it, which was that they finally released the pricing and launch details of Apple TV+. And Sarah, you actually wrote that article for us. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, uh, there were some reports prior to um, the announcement that it was going to be priced around 10 bucks a month, which was reasonable. Um, but they kind of surprised everyone by saying, hey, it's actually going to be free when you buy a new Apple device, like a new iPhone or iPad. 
and uh, it's going to be around five dollars a month instead. So wait, but like, is ten dollars reasonable? Like, is ten dollars actually <laughs> reasonable? Like, how many shows are are coming out? Nine. If you look at HBO or Netflix, then yeah, it would be underpriced, but kind of more in the range. But probably a much smaller content library. Yeah, like HBO right. costs fifteen dollars, but you have literally hundreds of movies and like the best television slate of the last like. 15 20 years you know what i mean like apple is like oh we have these four new shows <laughs> you know like i mean they obviously didn't launch it for ten dollars a month true, but like true. but i think that uh apple people are you apple fans are used to sort of paying a premium for you know icloud is probably one of the most expensive cloud storage uh platforms yeah. out there you know um, things like that. So if for, I guess within the Apple universe, $10 a month seemed not like crazy pricing for them. Um, but to, you know, undercut Netflix, HBO, Disney, and basically give it away as a loss leader with new devices. It's, that was pretty surprising. I think, I don't think anyone expected it to be free for a year with, with the purchase of new hardware. Did this change the way that you think about it like did because it to me it felt like both like really smart pricing but also on the other hand almost an admission that this isn't quite as compelling a service as netflix or disney plus yeah i think it leaves more room for them to raise the pricing um over time as they grow their catalog and you know if they are able to develop at least one of their shows or two of their shows into a big hit that people feel is actually must watch tv um, but you know, it also sort of makes it a no brainer. Like you get it free for a year, unless you don't watch anything on it and you totally hate it. You're probably going to pay that, you know, four ninety nine, five dollars a month, whatever, um, to keep watching it the next year, because it's really like, that's the price of a cup of coffee. It's not a huge commitment, but they have millions of users making a very small commitment, it can kind of add up. And I mean, the other component of, of this, of course, is the content itself. And um, over the last few weeks, Apple has been releasing a number of different trailers for um, for All Mankind, for The Morning Show, I think is the one that got the most attention. And then at the Apple event this week, um, they also released the trailer for C, the Jason Momoa show. Have you guys liked any of these trailers? I actually think C looks uh... all right. No, that's no, I think it looks all right. Bird Box. It reminds yeah, I think me C of looks a fun. Battlestar no, Galactica. Terrible. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, <laughs> it, it's terrible. I would not watch that show. I, I think C looks fine. I don't know how I'll feel. Like the Emily Dickinson one looks like one that I would hate and I don't want to be participated in it at all, but I have a feeling that it's going terrible. to um it looks terrible. Catch like be one of those things that people are talking about. And I'm like, fine, fine. I'll watch it. I just, it, it, it rings that bell for whatever reason. Oh, I'm going to watch a bunch of these. <laughs> I'm going to watch all of them. Like, let's not joke with ourselves. We're going to watch them all. <laughs> I mean, the, the Dickinson one I thought was going to be more of a period piece, like Pride and Prejudice movie or Sense and Sensibility sort of along those lines. And instead it looks like it's a CW like teen you know, Dickinson, but Riverdale Tim said, Tim <laughs> Apple said that it's a modern spin on a classic <laughs> story. I mean, it's, it's sort of, um, I mean, I'm not even sure how historically accurate it is because she's 
right? Like she was supposed to be a recluse and not like a punk rock partying girl. Um, maybe we didn't have all the information, but I was really excited about morning show and I, I still am. I think like I am a huge, uh, Steve yeah. Carell fan and Reese Witherspoon is, is good too. And you know, Jennifer Aniston, whatever. Um, not no, no offense to Jennifer Aniston, but I've just like never been super excited about anything that she's done acting wise. She was good in Friends, and she's just sort of average in her movies. I've been, I enjoyed Along Came Polly. That was a good movie. I like that movie is to this day a movie that makes me laugh. Yeah, but I it's, totally forgot it. That I totally forgot that existed. <laughs> but it's mostly Philip Seymour Hoffman <laughs> that makes me laugh in that movie. So, um, oh yeah. But yeah, I'm excited about that. Anyway, I thought the trailer was kind of lame, and like they were like, "Oh, it's been watched over what was it a hundred million times or something," which just blows my mind. Like mm-hmm. that speaks to the power of Apple's press department more than anything i feel like but and and i mean to curiosity and to star star power and you know probably some to some extent hate watching because i think a lot of people um really were trash talking the the trailers um so in the same way that i suspect i haven't checked this but if you go and watch look at the view numbers on the cats trailer i think those are probably pretty high but that doesn't mean that people (laughs) liked it I don't think this was this bad. This is not cats level bad, but I, I think and I think there is excitement. I mean, there's a lot of discussion around it, which is, you know, what you need, but I don't think it means that universally everyone is this is gonna be an amazing show. I am excited for it still though, and I will watch it. That's the one that I'm probably looking for the most. Um out of the trailers they released, yeah, I would agree with you. But they have a huge lineup actually. I mean, small in comparison to Netflix or something like that, but in terms of just coming out of the gate, like they've announced like how many shows? Uh, More than 10, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you guys see that Goldman Sachs cut its outlook for Apple for this quarter by 26% because they think Apple, because of whatever they believe of Apple TV plus. I don't know if they just feel like it's a huge added cost, which it definitely has to be. Um, or if they're concerned that it's a competitive landscape, also true. Um, I don't really know exactly what the reasoning behind that is, but but that's what Goldman thinks. <laughs> that's news. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Well, I, I mean, I think we need to reserve judgment till we actually are able to watch an episode of anything it's produced. Um, plus, you have to remember they're also um, they are acquiring some content, and that strategy could change in time while much of it is original um they did buy that one movie the elephant queen right wasn't that a movie that they yeah i think so um and so they may do more like that in the future if they find that their original shows are not you know resonating the way they want them to um but uh, the other thing i i kind of like about it is that there may be more programming on there that's family appropriate (laughs) which is increasingly hard to find uh these days when so much is you know um kind of targeted to the adult streamers or it's targeted to like little kids but there's not a whole whole lot that's sort of in between i'm thinking shows that like when i grew up we had like a programming block called like tgif you know Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of family-friendly sitcoms that parents could sit through without like gouging their eyes out, you know, (laughs) um, and there's just not a lot of that. Like I watched with my daughter, a show called the middle for many years because it was just relatively wholesome, you know? And when it did touch on anything 
more adult, it handled it in a, a more like an appropriate way. And I'm sort of, you know, there's been a lot of like criticism of Apple TV, you know, having a lot of standards around what types of shows they are producing. But I think that that's actually a niche that they could fulfill um, in terms of making programming that is suitable to watch with the family. Uh, I mean, maybe not all their whole lineup, but if they have more of their lineup that you can you can sit down as a family. And I mean, that's a that, that could that could be beneficial, I think. I think you're right about that. Wasn't didn't didn't someone recently put out like a family friendly button or something that like skips sex scenes? Yes. Who was that? Was that Hulu or Disney or Walmart? Anthony wrote. That yeah, movie. I I wrote that story because Sarah was like, no, this is kind of crazy. Um, it is. And it's uh, it's Voodoo, which is a streaming service owned by Walmart. Um, which for the most part, it's not, it's not a subscription service. It's closer to like an iTunes than it is to a Netflix, but they added this feature where basically you can turn these filters on and off for language, for sex, for violence and for substance abuse. And then you'll just get a version of that movie or TV show with all that stuff removed. Um, which is kind of, uh, I mean, like, you know, there's like been versions of that. Like if you watch a movie on broadcast TV, you know, a lot of the sex and violence and language will be taken out. If you watch it on an airplane, that's true. But like this idea of being able to customize it in this way and turn it on and off in that way is pretty unusual. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely different. I, you know, and honestly, I'm, even though I have kids, I'm kind of on the fence about it because it's, it's like a little conservative to say that, you know, <laughs> I, I we're going to skip these scenes of this movie that otherwise I've decided for you to, you're okay to watch. Um, because if it is a movie that has like drug use or sex in it, it may be a little more adult than the child should be watching in the first place. Um, but, <laughs> uh, but like I said, uh, there, I think there is demand for, you know, more family programming out there. Um, and this is a legal way of kind of working. There was a service called Vid Angel that was basically editing movies and reselling the, their edited versions as rentals. And it was like uber conservative and Christian based company. Um, but uh, I don't know. I might, I might use it. <laughs> I might use this feature. Uh, my daughter asked me the other day where babies come from, and we are not talking about that this year. <laughs> We're talking about that in next year when they discuss it in health class. And yet at the same time, she's also begging to watch um, Mean Girls. And I looked up Mean Girls, and apparently there's a lot of discussion of sex in that movie, which I had forgotten. But I was like, I can't, <laughs> I, can't I don't know what to do. It's a really awkward time. Um, so, you know, if there was a way to watch Mean Girls and I could just push a little button and we don't have to have the birds and the bees conversation, it would save me a lot of, there is a, a way, there's gotta be a better way. There is. It's voodoo. <laughs> I know, right? I just, don't make me have this talk yet. <laughs> Not ready. But I agree that in general, like, I feel, I mean, I think there's definitely, uh, I mean, neither Jordan nor I has kids, but, um, that, that, that I, I, I can, Imagine that there's, you know, a lot of appetite for that kind of family-friendly viewing. Um, I, I think probably it makes... I don't even think you have to have kids to want that. Like, when I watch a movie with my parents... <laughs> That's you know, true. Like 100% parents are true. Generally conservative. <laughs> yeah, like, we watched um, Rocket Man, you know? 
uh, in theaters. And Rocketman is generally a pretty like tame movie overall, but there is a very graphic gay sex scene, which I was pretty happy to see because I was like, wow, this is like a normal straight person sex scene, but with dudes, I love it. Like that it felt like a huge step for the LGBTQ community. But I was flanked by my mother and my father <laughs> on the side. And like, while I was internally celebrating, I was also like, oh my God, this is the most uncomfortable thing that's ever happened to me in my life. So, you know, I think there's there's room for this outside of just like, oh, I have an 11 year old kid and I want to be careful. Like there's, you know, there are just situations where you want to sit down and watch a movie without offending someone, you know? Yeah. Well, we can check back in once Apple TV Plus launches in November. In the meantime, we should probably move on to our review of The Family on Netflix. And we should say this is a documentary and of, you know, not it's not like a true crime documentary. It's not narrative or twisty in that way. So I don't think we're going to have a spoiler discussion. We're just going to say, you know, this isn't really a documentary that's built around um, surprises or anything. So if you, for some reason, just don't, you don't want to know anything going into the, the show, we are going to be discussing the substance of, of the show. But otherwise, I mean, I think we're just going to treat everything as fair game because I don't think it's a documentary that can be spoiled. Um, well, Jordan, you were the one who recommended we, we watch this. So do you want to just tell our listeners a little bit about what it's about? Yeah, Netflix is seriously like, since it came out, Netflix was like, Jordan, you must watch this. This is 100% a show that we made for you. And I was like, you know, Maria, my girlfriend, didn't really want to watch it. It's, you know, things that are about secret organizations ruling our world make her a little stressed out. So I had to find some time, but I eventually got to it. And surprise, surprise, I really enjoyed it because it is, you know, kind of a conspiracy theorist's uh you know, candy, I guess. It's about an organization called The Family. And they like to refer to themselves as a non-organization. And the whole purpose of it, um, according to their documents and this documentary, is to foster leadership led by God. Um, and so the idea is that they, instead of, you know, m most ministries, churches, uh, most religious organizations across the, the spectrum, not just Christianity, minister to the people, to everyone, right? And the idea is that everyone needs to hear the word, whatever the word might be, um, and you spread it to as many people as possible. And the family had a little bit of a different approach. The idea was, if you focus on the people who are in power... They will make, quote, you know, godly decisions or follow in Jesus's footsteps. And that will have a trickle down effect into society at large. Um, and it was kind of about the fact that these people, the family moves kind of under the radar. You know, even the, the guy who was in charge of it, Doug Coe, the kind of head honcho leader of the whole thing really kept a relatively low profile considering he was rubbing shoulders with George W. Bush and Bill Clinton and, and other kind of high profile figures. And it's just about kind of this guy who, who got, you know, indoctrinated, I guess, into this organization and thought, Hey, this is kind of weird. I'll write about it and expose it. Um, and so that's the, the, the long and short kind of, of, of the documentary. Did I feel, did I miss anything important there? 
I think those are the big things. Um, I, I would also mention that there's a big focus on this event called the National Prayership Breakfast, which um, the the family is sort of organizing, although they, they're very behind the scenes in, in some ways. And, and in some ways, I thought that was kind of the most, some of the most interesting things I learned, because I feel like I'd seen headlines about the National Prayership Breakfast, but really had no idea I what it was, and I, and I yeah. learned a lot. I can't hear you say that. Oh, prayer, sorry. A uh, national prayer breakfast. There we go. Yes, <laughs> sorry. There we go. That's why it sounds a little better that way. Yeah, it does. Uh, <laughs> That's how much it really penetrated <laughs> yeah. our psyche. Like, right? Me and Sarah are both like biting our fingernails. Like, please don't say prayer ship again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had seen I had seen headlines about the National Prayer Breakfast too, uh, you know, here and there over the years. But I, you know, I never really thought, oh, I never knew that there was like this. The family was behind it, and it was this part of this whole big organization that had this larger agenda. I probably didn't really think too much about it, honestly. Well, there, um, the documentary does bring up some interesting points about like the blurring of the lines between church and state, and like. Honestly, if you're paying attention, it shouldn't shock you too much because what does every president say at the end of every single speech? God bless the United States of America, right? In God we trust. One nation under God. I mean, like, there there's so many pieces of our country that are, like, entwined with uh, Christianity, right? Like, Protestant faith. So... That piece has always kind of been there and we're always like, well, it's on our money. And like, you know, he says, God bless America. It's like still doesn't mean that there's, uh, you know, a blurring of the line between church and state. This kind of brings that into a new a new light, I think, in a way, because, you know, not only do you see the National Prayer Breakfast and kind of every what did he say? Every president since Eisenhower has participated. Mm -hmm. Um. But then there's also this line of like, how might our enemies, our allies and others interact with this event um, as a way to, you know, kind of catch us with our with our pants down, so to speak. Right. You know, you think of a church function or a worship or prayer function as kind of a vulnerable state for almost anyone to be in if you're really you know, taking it to heart and taking it seriously, which is a great opportunity for, I don't know, a Russian spy to come in and, and do a little handiwork, right? So that kind of was an interesting piece of it as well. And and they did highlight uh, an example of that with the Russian woman who pled guilty. Right, Maria Butina. Um, Butina, yeah, as uh, acting as an illegal foreign agent. So that was a, an example of that. And I also didn't realize that the national prayer breakfast was not just a sit down breakfast, but was actually a multi-day event where there were like breakout sessions and, a, you know, like a full on conference, yeah. basically. That was, that was surprising. Right. There's like a shot of the, the hotel screen and the whole agenda. And it like, it really felt like it was any other conference. Right. It could, yeah, exactly. Um, so that was a little, a little revealing, um, you know, and then people were coming from all over the world to attend this. And then, then they were making these political connections at this, you know, Christian event that seems practically state sponsored. Yeah. You know? I mean, well, so the content was obviously, I think, interesting, maybe not to everyone, but I found it really fascinating. What did you guys think about just the execution of the documentary itself, right? Like the kind of styling and 
and cinematography and um, some of that stuff. There was a lot of reenactments. I don't know how you guys felt yeah. about those. I did not like that. I didn't. I didn't care for the reenactment part. I thought it came across as a little cheesy, um, and I I almost feel like it was intentionally made to seem like cringy or cheesy so that you would have a, like a, you know, you would go into it having this like creepy, like bad feeling about this organization. Um, I also feel like the whole thing could have been condensed into a two hour movie uh, or as opposed to the series, it felt kind of boring in parts and stretched out and like not a lot of it was revealed per episode. And there were like repeated, there were things that they would bring back in multiple episodes in ways that I didn't really think were necessary. Yeah. Over and over again. And it, it really seemed like they were trying to stretch it out. And then, you know, finally, I don't think that I learned, it didn't give a lot of answers. It, it raised a lot of questions and it, it didn't, you know, it didn't seem to really, um, I just came away from it with like a lot more questions as, as opposed to feeling like, you know, there was this big reveal. And then when you Google this stuff, you're like, oh, people have been writing about this for years. I was just a little bit, you know, underinformed about, about this thing. Um, so I guess if you had been somebody who had been kind of following, you know, the fellowship and its practices, um, you may not have learned too much at all from from the series. Although I do think part of the point of a documentary like this is not necessarily to to tell something new to people who are really deep in that world, but it's also about popularizing and exposing people to you know reporting that maybe didn't get the the attention it deserved um, in in the meantime. I think it, it definitely is, but I also think that even the filmmaker himself, right, because this is based on a book that was written by the guy who kind of is featured heavily in this documentary. Jeff Charlotte. Jeff mm -hmm. Charlotte wrote a book about the family and then a, a separate person filmmaker came in and said, I'll do a documentary about what you learned and maybe do a little extra reporting on my own. But it felt to me like even the filmmaker, I don't know, like wasn't convinced of the wrongdoing in the same way as Charlotte was. Did you guys get that vibe where he was like, I mean, they might yeah. just be Christians who believe in what the Bible says, which is to tell people about Jesus. Like, are you sure it's as bad as it seems? You know, like, I felt like he was taking a more measured approach, which I actually appreciate. It might make for a less, like, you know, firecrackery, you know, documentary, less explosive. But um, I don't know. It didn't feel sometimes, you know, you watch a documentary and you walk away feeling dirty because you're like, ugh. Someone just tried to brainwash me into something. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes they're just so heavy on one side that you're like, well, that felt weird. Um, and I didn't really feel that with this. It left me thinking a lot and asking a lot of questions, um, but not necessarily feeling like I had been, you know, fully swept up into into something. You know, like making a, uh, making a murderer is kind of like that. I mean, they're just so gung-ho on Avery's innocence. They don't, they pretend like they're not, but they are. Um, and sometimes those, those leave a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I agree. I don't, I don't think it was like overly biased towards, you know, this being an inherently like a hundred percent evil organization, but I think it was more along the lines of this thing is happening and it intersects with our politics and government. And is that right? Is that okay? How do you feel about that? Because that seems like 
you know, a violation of the separation of church and state, and this could be used by our enemies. So it was making a lot of really strong points as to why maybe this should not exist and and its potential for misuse, um, this whole network. Um, But on the other hand, I think it was biased in a a little bit because it featured, um, it, it pretty much, you know, equated this organization to being connected with like the far right conservatives, you know, the anti-abortion advocates, that side of the political spectrum. And after I did a <laughs> some basic Googling, I found out well, there are actually Democrats who participate in this organization as well. And um, I, I don't know if that was revealed later on because I haven't watched every single episode, but I definitely did not get that sense from watching, you know, the beginning of the series. I don't think they pushed it as hard, honestly, but they did mention the fact that this was what was so kind of unsettling and intense about the family is that they were, they are very bipartisan and that, you know, there wasn't, it's not just for the Republicans necessarily, you know, that there are Democrats who participated as well, which, you know, I don't know. There's, there's some parts I was raised Christian, you know, and, um, I, there are parts of it that like, obviously are very unsettling. Like the fact that you would only the, the, the power structure that Charlotte describes of, you know, only going for these certain people and, and God having chosen people to be powerful and that's why they're powerful. And those are the people worth ministering to doesn't jibe with anything that I was taught actually. Um, obviously that doesn't make any sense. I think that's a pretty radical notion actually. Yeah. Yeah. That these are God's choices. Like that basically means that God chose Trump to be president. It's all God's plan. And I think that's a bit of a stretch. And and conversely, there's this discussion of that. If you believe that, then you also believe that people are poor because God wanted them to be poor. And so trying to create, you know, a social safety net is in fact going against God's plan. Right. Yeah. It's a very, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't ascribe to that philosophy at all. And I don't think that the majority of Christians would either. I don't, I hope. Yeah. I don't think they would. I I hope not as well. Um, But then the, the piece of just, you know, like the idea of creating a, a situation or an organization where people who do believe in God and let, you know, the Christian faith determine or, or guide them in their actions, having a place, particularly those who are in Congress, let's say, have a place where they can go and do that together and or across party lines to me is not inherently like the, it doesn't sound like evil or bad to me. Do you know what I mean? Like that, if mm-hmm. that's how you choose to practice your faith and you want to do that in a bipartisan way, that's actually, that sounds way more right than splitting them up for sure. Like a Democrat's prayer breakfast and a Republican's prayer breakfast or whatever. So there are parts of it that were really, that's what I mean when I say it made me think and ask questions because parts of it seem, and I think that's, that's what also can make it very unsettling is it on its face can seem very innocent um and very kind of like well-intentioned and the other piece of it is that this organization is so not organized you have doug co at the top and then who else like there's just a bunch of other people and they all are kind of kept in their isolated insular role and many of them i believe had the best of intentions right like they 
think, wow, look, this organization that fosters, you know, Christianity and politics that like, you know, I want, I want all the politicians to be Christians. So yeah, I would love to pray over congressmen. Like I could see, you know, people I know and grew up with feeling like, oh yeah, God's called me to do this. This is a great way for me to spend my time and my resources is ministering to those who have difficult decisions to make without kind of realizing, hey, we're creating a vulnerability for our government. We are blurring the lines between church and state for our government. We were probably abusing power and money. Um, and they, it, it, it's easy when you're that kind of invisible to keep the people who are doing it for the right reasons just in line and, and going on their way without really questioning those things. Do you know what I mean? Right. That that's very siloed. Um, and I would say for that reason, the the la- or for a couple of different reasons, the last episode, Wolf King, is for me was by far the most interesting episode. Um, partly because I think it's the one where they do um bring up some of those questions that you were talking about, Jordan, where the director doesn't seem quite you know, opens up the possibility that maybe the story that Jeff Charlotte has been telling us for the last few episodes is not entirely correct. And in, fa- and in fact, he asks him directly, um, you know, did you ever think that maybe you just got it wrong? <laughs> and that, you know, who all these other people um, who are saying that the family is essentially a benign organization are the ones who are correct. And, and Charlotte has to address that. And and I wish they'd gone into that a little bit more and wrestled with it a little bit more, but I thought it was, it was really good that they, they brought that up. Um, and, and also brings up the fact that one thing that's really powerful about this documentaries they got a lot of people involved with the family on camera and it seems like they it wasn't like they were being tricked necessarily like they're they're asked directly about these allegations of like this sort of conspiracy and they address them directly and and so you really do get that other point of view in it um and then i think the last thing that i really liked about that last episode is the fact that you get to see one of these local meetings in portland and you see how this philosophy has sort of manifested in you know the lives of these individual people and and it's like interesting because it is this it's diverse in a way that the other gatherings have not been that that it's like dominated in some ways by um african-american men which maybe i don't know you know you, you wonder how much of that is maybe for the camera or whatever but like it really seems like there's this one guy who's who's driving it and they even and then they force the director jesse moss to participate in the meeting and they start asking him these awkward questions like why isn't your crew more diverse? Why is it all white guys? And you, could, I'm really glad they kept that in there, that there's the director really stumbling over his answers, trying to justify the fact that all of his crew is white guys. Yeah, well, and I think there was there, that ties back into kind of a larger theme of the of the series, which was, um, you know, in the family, their version of Christianity, which, you know, prefers white, powerful men to everyone else. It also prefers this idea that, you should be broken and nothing and not have an identity in order to be a follower of Jesus and one of, you know, in the brotherhood of this, this organization that you should, you know, have looked within yourself at all of the sin and awfulness and become broken and nothing and become one of the, of the sheep. Right. And I think that that they were trying to start that process for the director in a way, right? Where it's like, how can we ask you the things mm-hmm. that you're, we, you let your shame out, confess your sins. You know what I mean? Um, confess, confess, like from Game of Thrones. <laughs> um, but 
but that's what <laughs> it felt like a lot to me. And there was, you know, I, 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 I kind of was a little bit, uh, uh, torn, I guess, with 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 that Portland meeting. In, in fact, it was kind of funny. Maria walked out while he was talking about how his past when he went to the first prayer breakfast and he was saying, these politicians are just liars. They don't care about us. You know, they're using Jesus and the Bible as this tool to kind of trick us and blah, blah, blah. And Maria was like, man, I really like this guy. He seems to know what he's talking about. And then he's like, but I was wrong. <laughs> she was like, wait, what happened? Like, sense. Um, so I, you know, it was, I really liked that guy, but I also felt like he was too smart to be in this, but then that speaks again to the idea that you can be a participant in this family organization with the best of intentions and a good heart and a, and a smart, you know, head on your shoulders and not really know what you're a part of. Cause I don't really know if they're a part of anything really. Do you know what I mean? Like I, it's creepy, but it's also only kind of creepy at the top. I don't know. Well, it's also creepy that they're just letting, you know, these values like influence, you know, so heavily influence their policy decisions, um, what bills they're putting, you know, to, they're creating um, how they're voting and things like that. Because at the end of the day, they're supposed to be, they're supposed to be representing their constituents. And, you know, this organization obviously has a lot of very conservative values when it comes to things like what's your stance on abortion? Like the Democrats who are participating are generally anti-abortion um, activists, you know? So there's, that's the part that where I'm like, maybe, you know, where do we draw the line? Okay. We can't say you can't go to church because anyone is allowed to go to church, you know, like that's a freedom we have. But if you're in public office, to what extent should you be involved in, you know, attending these like big conferences that are religious in nature. Um, where does where does your political life end and your spiritual life begin? And you know, they were they had some examples of people who were like brokering like relationships with like um, you know terrorists, or, you know, or you know, trying to you know, I guess achieve some sort of peace with uh, suspected terrorist organizations and things like that. Um, they did, some of them did get in trouble for that. Um, you know, pled guilty to obstruction of justice, one of the guys that they featured and acting as an unregistered foreign right. agent. But it was because of the involvement in this organization that he thought that would be an okay thing to do. So it, it does kind of raise the questions is like, do we need some more, guidelines around how politicians should behave. And I guess to me, like part of what, that was what I liked about it. And, and what I was less, that's some of that disappointment that I think we've all maybe alluded to a little bit is this sense that at the end of the uh, documentary, you're left still with these questions, which in some cases can be a sign of a good documentary if that's exactly what the filmmaker was going for. But I, f it felt in this case, like the way Netflix has marketed it and that first episode really promised this idea of this sort of very secretive organization that's really pulling the strings behind the scenes. And instead, what you kind of get is this sense of proximity and, and influence. I think this is an important organization. Obviously, the event whose name I can't pronounce is like very significant. But like the, you know, like I don't get the sense that, oh, they're really the ones controlling government 
to an extent that like we didn't understand. I mean, they, they clearly there are some people in the government who are involved with this group, but but it doesn't quite live up to what was sort of being hinted at at the beginning. And so uh, to me, I'm, I'm both glad I watched and I feel like I learned a lot, but also there's this element of why, why did I watch five hours of this thing to not get clearer answers on this? Did this group really deserve this much scrutiny? Would it potentially have been more interesting if it had been a broader documentary about the separation of church and state in America? And perhaps the family was an element in it, but like wasn't, but was, you know, using that as a launching point yeah, to ask these broader questions as opposed to really trying to like, like lean heavily into this more conspiratorial narrative. Yeah, I feel like they painted it in the first episode as a cult, like um, when that guy was told yeah, yeah, to not be on his right. phone or something, or somebody looked like they were getting um, getting in trouble for leaving to go support their girlfriend or something. I can't remember what the exact storyline was. There. It was part of the reenactments, and that came across as like this is very cultish, you know. And obviously, we don't like cults. Not pro cult here, <laughs> um, but. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's not Scientology, you guys. <laughs> now, now that's an organization we should be concerned about. <laughs> well, an, an organization that's much more interesting. I mean, what happens in these Scientology situations is bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Now that's serious. Like, yeah. If you liked this show and you want to see more about crazy religious stuff, watch uh, Leah Rem- Rem- Remini. What's her last name? Remini. Yeah. Remini's <laughs> show about Scientology. Um but, you know, at the end of the day, that guy was allowed to leave. Nobody's phone was taken away from them. And, you know, it wasn't – it's not actually a cult. Yeah, they have this sort of, like, frat house where they host meetings. But to me, it's almost like, I don't know, FCA with politics or something. That's Fellowship the of Christian The bit where you know it's you know? really kind of gotten a little dirty, I think, was somewhere in the second or third episode where you find out that – so the – fellowship foundation which is the parent financial brand that that leads the family or whatever um had been funding this place called c street which was a house that some congressmen lived in pretty much for free i mean they paid like 600 dollars in rent or something in a place where you can normally get a place for like 2500 bucks so that was that was interesting but then the fact that one of them one of these politicians was having an affair with his aide's wife and the aide who was also part of the family or a friend of the family or whatever went to these guys and was like, Hey, he's sleeping with my wife. Like, let's figure this out. Cause oh, yeah. I don't want him to be sleeping with my wife anymore. Fair, fair request. Um, and they're like, don't sweat it. And they just kind of protect the guy who's having the affair, the Congressman. And that like, is just so blatantly, that is not what the Bible says to do. That is not what Jesus says to do. That, that's the other piece, too. They, like, kind of stripped the Bible down to this book called Jesus, which is just right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, <laughs> and Acts. Yeah, they made which, their own Bible. You know, it's pretty much the story of Jesus being born and put on the cross and, you know, rising from the dead. That's that's what those five books pretty much cover. Um, and then the the disciples, the apostles being sent out to every, everywhere else in the world to tell about Jesus's story. And they stripped it all down to this idea of like Jesus plus nothing, which again goes back to the idea of being broken. But yeah, I, that was when I was like, ooh, that's not so Christian. Like this could all be very Christian. 
up until that point. And then it's like, no, that's not what we do. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> just felt very blatant. Yeah, it, it definitely convinced me that that there were a lot of things about their practices and ideology that I that were very opposed to the things I believe in. Um, what it didn't quite convince me of was that they're quite as powerful as I think Charlotte seems to be claiming. Like, I mean, the subtitles of his book are "The Secret, the Family, the Secret Fundamentalism at the Heart of American Power," and "C Street, the Fundamentalist Threat to American Democracy." And I feel like what we see in the documentary doesn't quite live up to that. It's like, I don't like this group. Although I think it has good, there are people who participate in our group who can have good motivations. Overall, I don't like this group, but I'm not convinced that they're, you know, the secret threat to American democracy or anything like that. Yeah, totally. The threat to American democracy is no secret. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Well, we should probably wrap up pretty soon. Um, Do we have any final thoughts that we want to share about the family? Well, speaking of, a couple things that you can watch uh, if you really were into the family. One is, uh, and Sarah, you just came up with that Going Clear documentary. I didn't even think about that, but that is very that is very similar oh, that was, yeah, um, yeah. on HBO. That's focused on Scientology. And Alex Gibney of, is a producer on both of them, I think. Um, so there is a connection there, yeah, too. Yeah, so that one's really, really intense and fantastic. And then Jesus Camp is an older documentary that uh, focuses on just kind of children in the Christian faith and, and how, you know, sometimes the music and the emotion and the hormones play a role in how deeply maybe someone, you know, embeds themselves into Christianity at a young age. And then what was the other one that I mentioned, Anthony? Um, it was, uh, oh, uh, the, the 13th, the, the next oh, 13th. Yeah. So if the part of this that you really liked or maybe lacked out of the family was the idea of kind of the behind the scenes, what's actually going on in the American political system, the thir- uh, 13th is really good. That's Ava DuVernay, and uh, that's a documentary that's about s- pretty much systemic racism and, and the criminal justice system and the political system in America and how slavery never ended. Um, and it really was a, it was an eye opener for me. You know, there's some things that, you know, all the pieces of when you look at the map and you say like, oh yeah, like, you know, uh, black men are incarcerated at a much higher rate than white men and, and so on and so forth. But this actually gives you a play by play from, you know, the end of slavery to right now, how, how all of this feeds into this one larger idea of systemic racism um and that's a really really good documentary i highly suggest that so if you're looking for related content when you finish the family you just need more those are three that you can kind of tap into that should be pretty good oh also there was one other i just thought of um there was a movie now i have not watched it but it was um boy erased i watched it the Christian Oof. conversion camps, which it is very, very difficult to watch. It really is. Um, but also good, definitely good, but like, uh, get some tissues and I mean, we're basically recommending like films about <laughs> evil religion, right? So, but I thought the family was fine. I think, you know, it could have been really bad. Yeah. Like if you think about if they had just jumped on with Charlotte and, they didn't, it feels like they didn't have all the pieces of the puzzle and it did feel a little bit like a third or fourth draft and not a final 
product in terms of like the investigation itself, but it could have been much worse. It, it took a measured approach. The reenactments, I don't know. Me and Anthony have talked about reenactments a lot. I thought they were like fine for what reenactments are, but maybe re- relied a little bit too heavily on them. You know, it was. Especially in that first episode. Yeah, it was like, what am I? Is this a documentary or not? Like, I was just a little confused by that. Um, what was with the, the the football tackle where they all like yeah. nearly crushed him to death or something? What was, I no, still don't understand. I mean, I think it. <laughs> it was the most um, extensive reenactments that I've seen in any documentary. Like, because usually, if you see a reenactment, like it's usually you see little snippets and like suggestions of what's happening. But this is like full scenes with dialogue as if you're watching a scripted dramatic show. And I was not crazy about it, but part of it is because, you know, I just don't like reenactments in general. So it's hard for me to sort of separate it. That always gives me pause. Like remember when we watched murder mountain, they had some pretty good reenactments where it was like clear enough to see kind of what had happened based on the story that they're telling, but not to the point where, it's always like a slightly blurry and like you didn't quite see faces and it just added something. I think that it didn't detract anything. And this was like, if you're going to play a full scene of dialogue as a reenactment and call it a documentary, I have to say like bullshit, I guess. Cause it's like, well, where's the recording of that conversation? I would much rather you play the rec- or, or it's just all from memory and I'm supposed to trust you. And I don't like either of those. You know what I mean? Right. They, they, I think the more honest way to do it would be just to show Charlotte telling the story. And then it's much clearer that, hey, here's somebody telling you what he remembers. You can decide whether or not to believe him as opposed to in a reenactment. It feels much more like the, the filmmaker is saying this is what happened for sure. Mm-hmm. Sounds like we still liked it overall. Um, so we recommend you check out The Family. And if you enjoy this podcast, you can always subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or any other podcast app. You can also leave us a review if you enjoy the show. And have a great weekend, Jordan and Sarah. Thank you. You have a great weekend. Bye.